The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, press play, stick it in your ear, and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 317 with guest Christian Weyer, recorded live Tuesday, February 5th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who asks the question, what the f*** is Phineas and Ferb? Carl Franklin! Thanks very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here for your .NET listening pleasure. How's it going, Richard? Things are good, sir. I should be in uh, Egypt by the time you're uh, listening to this. Awesome. You going to go to Giza? I will go to Giza, and I think I'm going to go to Luxor as well. Awesome, man. Take some pictures. I will. Get somebody to squish your head at the pyramid. <laughs> You've already done the squish your head. I squish your head. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that picture. That's funny. All right. Better Know Framework coming at you. <laughs> Okay, sir, what do you got? Now, this is something that I just stumbled across in the framework, and I love it when this happens. You know, it's like, holy crap, I can't believe this is in here kind of thing. Yeah, they they do that to us every so often. Yeah. So, this is the system.net.peer-to-peer namespace. No. And I'm just reading from the docs here because I know nothing about it. The system.net.peer-to-peer namespace provides access to peer networking functionality how peers discover each other and resolve identifiers is complicated by transient connectivity and the lack of access to address records such as the DNS system. The Windows Peer-to-Peer Infrastructure, all capitals, solves the problem with a name resolution and peer discovery scheme called PNRP, Peer Name Resolution Protocol provides a name resolution mechanism for peer-to-peer networks. PNRP is designed to resolve a name to a network IP endpoint in a completely peer-to-peer manner. Cool. Basic PNRP functionality is provided in the system.net.peer-to-peer namespace classes. 
They provide the ability to create a peer and register it in a cloud of peers. They also provide the ability to resolve a peer name to its network endpoint, TCP port, cloud, or other address identifiers. How cool is that? That is really cool, and I had no idea that was in the framework. Me either. And it also says in Windows Vista, PNRP ships as a service that is started on demand by applications. Wow. So it's in Vista. I get the sense that Microsoft's got some plans for this they just haven't told us about. Yeah, and what's neat is it's really just name resolution for when you're when you've got NAT uh, addresses and things like that. That uh, it just resolves that kind of stuff. Very very cool. Well, there you go. So you got an email for us? I do indeed. Let me read it to you. Hi, Carl and Richard. I just finished show three one two. That was the one on unit testing databases. Mm. I wanted to chime in on the subject. I've been doing unit testing of stored procedures for a few years now. I come from the developer side of the fence. The testing I've been doing is more along the lines of what Andy called functional testing. However, however, I feel it fits quite well in the unit testing definition. With a unit test, you want the same inputs every time so that you can validate the action result. A dedicated database kind of worked for a while until I had a stored procedure that modified the data. All of a sudden, I had a different starting point. The next time the tests ran, they were red. Another problem I encountered was needing a different starting point allowing you to test other edge cases. Using a dedicated database, you're out of luck. This was especially troublesome in a team environment where a few people tried to share the same test database. Hmm. These sorts of problems were game enders for my unit testing efforts. I finally created a library that allowed each test method to create a database and populate it with data. Now I can follow William Wake's arrange, act, assert pattern for every test case. Oh, wow. This works without any special tools beyond your favorite unit test framework. For me, that is C-sharp and testdriven.net. The key to making this work was disabling connection pooling. Now I need to learn more about the DBA side of testing that Andy and Richard were talking about. And that email was from Jim Argolopoulos, and I hope I got your name right, Jim. Awesome. Uh, and a couple of interesting points he builds up here, which is that, of course, the key to making those unit tests, those repeatable tests work, was actually creating the entire data structure all at once. I don't know if you actually needed to create the database, but just creating a table, loading with data, running your test, and then destroying it all at the end so that you can have a consistent repeatable test. That's the tricky part about database testing. And obviously, the tools are advancing on all this. I also think that virtualization and on all of these new technologies for testing is going to make that much easier. Yeah. Wow, that's very cool. It's a complex thing, isn't it? Yeah, funny. Databases add a new twist to things because they keep remembering stuff. <laughs> oh, and there's reference to William Wake. Uh, William Wake is one of the old school testers on the Java side, and he sort of came up with this term called Arrange Act Assert, which was really about setting up your values, then running the test, and then confirming the values came back the way you wanted to, which is exactly what he was doing in the database. Very cool. Thanks, Jim, for that email. We'll be sending you uh, a .NET Rocks mug just for and being cool. And if you got some questions, some ideas, some flames, some love, send it to us. .NET Rocks at franklins.net. All right, Richard, uh, I'm really excited today because our guest is our friend and fellow regional director, Christian Wire. Uh, Christian is a software architect with ThinkTexture, a company assisting software architects and developers in projects to realize distributed application architectures. He's fascinated by the opportunities of both service orientation and the web beyond the browser and colorful user interfaces. 
With a strong historical background in distributed systems and applying technologies like WCF and WCF in the past years in customer projects, Christian is currently focusing on the possibilities to leverage the web for connected systems inside and outside the firewall and works closely with the BizTalk services team at Microsoft. Buzzwords like SNS, or is that S plus S, software plus services? Buzzwords like S plus S, cloud computing, and internet service bus are just the tip of the iceberg for him. Christian is also an MVP for connected systems and, as I said, a Microsoft regional director for Germany. Read more about Christian at thinktexture.com slash staff slash Christian. Welcome. Hi, guys. Hey, good to have you on. Yeah, finally. It just took us three or four <laughs> times. <laughs> well, it isn't because you didn't have anything to say. No, it's just because of my very weird schedule and other circumstances. <laughs> yeah, well, we first started talking about doing a show a year ago, but I think that show was an SOA show. And, right. And that... that it seems like that term's evolved now. Now we're talking Internet Service Bus. So I guess the original idea was to do um, services and workflows, right? Right, right. So I guess it was about the what and the why of services and workflows and WCF and WF. And now, obviously, it has evolved into something a little bit more future-driven, even more future-driven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think for most people, the the uh, services and workflows is pretty futuristic, but the ISB is a whole other layer past that. Yeah. So we have, well, let's see, our first, in on .NET Rocks, our first introduction to SOA came from your colleague, Clemens Vasters, who now works at Microsoft. Yep. And, um, and we've talked with Michelle Arubustamante about it a couple of times. And uh, where else have we talked about SOA? Richard, uh, remember we had the uh, uh, Fred Chang on software as a service. I mean, they were That's all right. sort of in that same realm. That's yeah. right. And then we also learned about the connected systems division at Microsoft, where all the uh, all the brainiacs are. Uh, I know Don Box is working in there. Is he still working on connected systems? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Internet Service Bus, I guess, is uh, the new new thing. Why don't you tell us about that? You know, the interesting or one interesting fact is that Clemens is now well, not now, but he's been working for Microsoft in Redmond for some years now. But he's actually moved to the Internet Service Bus team. Ah. So Clemens oh. is yeah, Clemens is now working on what they call the Internet Service Bus and which is code named BizTalk Services. Which I, I find is a terrible name because it's not actually BizTalk, right? Don't preach to the choir. Okay. <laughs> so it's not just me that's going, what? Yes. No, no, no. So um, <laughs> if I were able or if I were allowed to show you my my Outlook inbox when it uh, comes to conversations about the naming of this whole beast, I could actually show you my opinion and express my opinion in written emails. <laughs> but to make um, a long story short, yes, I... I as well, think it's not uh, it's not the optimal name to say the least. Well, I mean, right off the bat, Internet Service Bus sounds very general and non-product affinity, having having no affinity to any one product, and uh, you know, BizTalk Services also obviously tied to BizTalk. Well, so there is first the idea of the ISB of the Internet Service Bus, but obviously. B 
beyond an idea or a concept or a vision, there needs to be some some implementation, right? And the current incarnation of what the Connected Systems Division calls the Internet Service Bus, this current incarnation is codenamed BizTalk Services. But uh, in my opinion, it is not related to the BizTalk Server release today. So that means it's not related to BizTalk Server 2006 R2. And hopefully it's not really related uh, or tightly related to any future version of BizTalk Server. The whole idea mm. of the Internet Service Bus is that it should be up there and running uh, in the Oslo wave. Have you heard about Oslo? You know, we haven't done a show on Oslo, uh, and right. I think we should. I, I know as RDs we heard a bit about it. Maybe you need to give us a cap on Oslo. <laughs> well, I don't think uh, I can <laughs> I can really open that um, can now because... That big, huh? If we talk about uh, Oslo, we really have to do at least one show, maybe even two shows. And I guess these oh, shows should be year. done by the guys inside <laughs> of the big house. So Oslo is maybe just in one or two sentences, the next big platform for connected systems, for composite applications, for distributed applications, which involves the next version of .NET Framework, which involves the next version of BizTalk Server, which involves the next version of other tools um, that, is, that are not actually in scope for developers like um, like monitoring tools, like system management tools, and the like. Cool. So there, it's really a big, big, big vision and a big, big, big idea that spans multiple uh, divisions inside of Microsoft. Okay. Yeah, that is big. <laughs> that is really big. And I don't think you can really cover it in one show, but well. Maybe you should try. But yeah, I, I'm sure we'll get multiple shows out of it. But that, you know, that still sounds suspiciously like Internet Service Bus. Well, we haven't even defined that yet. So come okay, on. So you guys know about the concept of an enterprise service bus, right? Well, l maybe our listeners haven't. <laughs> okay. So an enterprise service bus does several things for us. So, for example, a typical enterprise application architecture can or may use a central bus, and this bus does um, several duties. For example, like um, naming, naming, naming services for your endpoints, or routing messages between services or services and consumers. Uh, um, other duties that an enterprise service bus could do is, for example, authentication on and or rules-based authorization. You can have something like a lookup directory service. You can have something like publish and subscribe, like eventing and callback uh, features. Or you can even have something like a workflow engine and the workflow um, feature in there. Gee, but sounds a lot like BizTalk. Yes, you can <laughs> use, and there you go. You can use BizTalk Server today to implement an ESB. And for me, an ESB, so an enterprise service bus, is just a set of patterns. I call it a super pattern, right? Because with the, the BizTalk Server itself, you can do a lot, lot more stuff. But you can also implement an ESB pattern, an enterprise service bus pattern with the BizTalk Server today. But that's in the enterprise. It's inside of your firewall. It's inside of your boundaries. Okay? And the okay. idea of the ISB now, so the Internet Service Bus, is 
to move the bus into the internet or as as the connected systems division um, likes to call it into the cloud right that's the whole idea so the 10,000 uh, feet view of the ISB is to use the service bus idea the service bus super pattern approach in the internet hmm Hmm. Yeah. And they're also, you know, there's something about this that still feels like, dare I say it, com plus, this idea of the set of services that every business action is going to need, in, or at least some of them are going to need along the way of coordinating these larger transactional concepts. Yeah. And, and to me, it sounds like the enterprise service bus just that goes outside the enterprise. Yes, exactly. So one... One of the features um, or one of the purposes of the ISB could be that you connect enterprises or that you enable certain scenarios for peer-to-peer application communication. And this actually all plays into this whole idea of S plus S, of the software plus services vision, right? Yes. What is S plus S? So in just a few words or a few sentences, <laughs> rather, S plus S is more than just um, software as a service. A lot of people and a lot of customers and a lot of vendors are talking about SaaS, S-A-A-S, software as a service. But software as a service is actually just one part of what we need to write modern composite applications. SaaS is just the part of service delivery, okay? What we also need is the part of service composition because we may end up with a number and a lot of services. Yeah, so, you may end up with, you know, automatic downloading of clients that run on the, you know, software that runs on the client. There you go. As, so right. we also have to deal with service experience, right? So user experience, whether it's a, I don't know, a Silverlight-driven app running in the browser, whether it's a WPF um, click-once application running locally on your machine. So... It's not just about service delivery. It's about service delivery plus service composition, what we use to refer as SOA, okay, plus the service experience. And all these th- three I- ideas or three pillars um, come into the whole idea of software plus services of S plus S. So S plus S actually augments the basic idea of, so- of software software as a service. Okay. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the astronomical community, how first we had the universe and then that wasn't big enough. So then we have the cosmos, <laughs> you know? Well, and now, because <laughs> the cosmos is everything and maybe there are more than one universes. Well, and, 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 and then gets- I'm waiting for somebody to say, maybe there's more than one cosmos. <laughs> but you know this also seems like as, as we get to try and manifest these ideas yeah. we run into problems and so we need to add another layer of abstraction on top sure do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites follow me here zero effort plus sitefinity cms equals infinity in website development that's right telerik challenges you 
to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zoom. My view on this whole S plus S thing is actually... SOA done the right way. Ah, very nice. Okay. So, in that works. Well, in the past years or over the past years, let's say three to four to five years, we have just been talking about SOA. What is it? What is it not? We, we have uh, written a lot of articles. We have read a uh, lot of articles, uh, but there were still a lot of open problems and issues. And now with this whole idea and the technologies and the platform assets, um, of S plus S of software plus services, I actually think about S plus S as SOA done the right way. Okay. Okay. And um, you know, when I when I when I think about Microsoft's offerings in this area, and now they're talking about BizTalk services, you know, um, is there anything that's not tied to that product that uh, that that people can use? You mean product as in BizTalk Server? Or? Yes. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, when I started um, investigating in this um, whole S plus S thing and whole S plus S vision, I actually stumbled across a very interesting fact. I'm not sure whether you guys do have an Xbox 360. Yes, I do. So you I have don't know if Richard does. Xbox I do. 360 at home. Okay, are you subscribed to Xbox Live? No, I'm not that much of a gamer geek. No. Nope. Okay, but the Xbox, the Xbox device, and the software running on that device, right, is the software part of S plus S. And the Xbox Live service running in the cloud, in the internet, is the service part. Right. Sure. So a prototypical example of S plus S is actually Xbox Live. So mm. you have a device. Well, it's not a PC. It's not a mobile device. It's just your Xbox. You have software on, on there. It's your games, your freaking cool games. And you have the Xbox Live service where you, where you have subscription-based services, where you can have transactions for Xbox Live Marketplace, where you can have transactions with Xbox Live Arcade, and so on and so forth. So the whole infrastructure for having S plus S features and, and S plus S functionality is already there with Xbox Live. Well, and the power of this analogy is when you start thinking about the other things they're starting to do in the Xbox space, like XNA, where other people could be developing applications for the Xbox 360 and then providing them through this service to other people. So naturally, you get this sort of runaway effect where people start being able to utilize your software and your services in ways you hadn't thought of. Let me ask you this before we get off the Xbox. Do you happen to know what the Xbox Live team used for their back-end uh, software? Did they write it all from scratch? Is no, it .NET uh, based? Well, I don't know. 
what they're using. I would love to know because this is an extremely well scalable infrastructure, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's million and million and millions of users, but hey. no, I'm sorry, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, if you were using it over Christmas, you would know it had limits in its scalability. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, but guys, if you want to have an answer to that question, do a show on it. Ah, there you go. Yeah, we have no excuse is what you're telling us, Christian. <laughs> we can know anything. All we got to do is ask the right people. <laughs> I think that's definitely well in order. Richard. Absolutely. That's definitely well in order, yeah. Cool. So there are already existing um, examples of S plus S. So in the consumer world, it's the Xbox or Xbox Live. But we also have examples uh, in the business world. What about Exchange Server, guys? Mm-hmm. You definitely have software, but the software is just not that interesting without the, sur- the that whole interactivity between the different products, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, with Exchange Server, you have the Exchange services running on your server or on the server of your ISP or your provider, and you have different kinds of user interfaces, right? You have Outlook. You can have uh, just a POP or SMDP mail client. You can have. Outlook Web Access, you can have a very um, optimized mobile version for your Windows mobile device. And now there is also Microsoft Exchange hosted services, right? So Microsoft tries to actually live this whole vision of S plus S. But what's actually missing is that that they are offering us a platform in terms of development platform and tooling so that we can actually take part in that game. As they always do. As so well. they always do. And yeah. this is one of the reasons why they are currently um, building this, and they call it an incubation project. <laughs> so that's even earlier than a CTP, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and this incubation project for providing services in the internet services in the cloud in order to uh, to to connect our applications in the sense of software plus services and this incubation project is codenamed well desktop services and once again we get back to boy that's a bad name yeah yeah well it is a bad name but uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to stress on this fact. <laughs> now, is it a bad name because it isn't necessarily tied to the product BizTalk server? There you go, yeah. Um, today, it is not at all tied to BizTalk server. So, BizTalk server 2006 R2 does not have anything in common or does not have anything to do with the BizTalk services offering. BizTalk services are actually services running in a dedicated data center inside of Microsoft, well, and of course, the BizTalk services services offering is implemented with Windows Server and ASP.NET and, and IIS and WCF right. and Workflow Foundation and so on and so forth. But it's not related to BizTalk Server as a product. Okay. Well, there you have it. There you have it. There you have it. So, other potential applications besides an Xbox 360 setup where you have, let's say you do have BizTalk, let's say you have, or any enterprise service bus, and everything's talking and humming along, are you going to be able to just plug in the internet service bus alongside that no matter what it is? Yeah. 
because um, one of the features of the Internet Service Bus is to be based on standards, on open standards. That means what they are actually implementing is based on WCF, so on the Windows Communication Foundation, okay? Of course it is, yeah. And Yes, of course it should be. <laughs> and um, they are using WS Star, or as some other guys call it, WS Death Star. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> Very nice, yeah. Uh, so they are using WS Star to enable a large percentage of interoperability, and they are also able to to speak and to understand a REST-based approach, okay? So that means, yes, in theory and actually also in practice, you can just plug your BizTalk server ESB implementation to the ISB just by calling a service which is exposed through the ISB. Okay, so it can totally stand on its own. And... Does that is that going to cause problems? Is there anything? Is there any other way that these things should be able to be a little more intimately connected, except through the internet? And in other words, is there going to need to be any backend kind of communication between an ESB and the ISB? Well, the actual backend is the ISB itself, right? Right. So all the all the communication happens through the bus itself. There isn't any. Well, you know, there, what if what if it needs to share local resources, for example? Well, it's all based on the service-oriented ideas. So, if you want to share local resources, you have to to write a service exposing them. So, yeah. So, my question actually is very indicative of the old way of thinking of how um, these islands are constantly linked together on the back end, whereas the whole idea of SOA is to make discrete services that talk to each other through a bus. There you go. Yeah. And so it's actually the be- the better way to do it is to have the ISB be a completely autonomous unit. Yeah. And one of the the ideas of the ISB is also that you are able to expose services on your machine through the ISB to others. And that you, of course, and obviously are able to consume services that are exposed through the ISP by others from your machine. Now, with WCF, we can do all of this stuff. So you're, you're basically adding a nice layer of manageability on top of WCF for Internet traffic. Is that basically what ISB can be thought of as? Well, it's actually a lot more. Um, there are two layers that are being added, or two two basic feature lines that are being added. One is the connectivity aspect, and the other one is the identity and identity management aspect. Okay. Can it, we we have uh, we have connectivity all over the place with WCF? What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, just imagine where a lot of uh, people just sitting. Uh, in front of their desktops or in front of their laptops being being shielded by Windows desktop firewalls, being shielded by NAT router devices, okay? But now you want to to write and you want to deploy an application that can talk beyond the firewalls. Of course, with WCF we have basic connectivity. But what happens if I want to call back from my service into you into your client application. 
Okay. So this is so so you have uh Okay. So so you have tools in there to open up holes in the firewall. I guess is what yes, you're saying. But Maybe we shouldn't call them holes per se. <laughs> we, maybe not the best word. We should word. call it uh, firewall-friendly connectivity. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> it's not a hole. It's firewall-friendly. <laughs> oh, wow. TM. Yeah. Well, yeah. So one um, one aspect to think about when talking about the ISB and talking about the connectivity feature of the ISB is actually that you are opting into a different risk model, into a different security risk model. Okay? Sure. So, because usually, and uh, so I guess this is what Carl is actually thinking about. Okay, if I want to expose a service to the outside, I have a DMZ, right? I have a demilitarized zone where I actually put my service into. Yeah. Okay? And then I can host it uh, in IIS or inside of a custom Windows service or whatever. But it is there, and I know it's in the DMZ, right? But in a lot of cases and a lot of scenarios, especially in peer-to-peer scenarios, especially in smaller to mid-sized companies, it actually makes sense or can make sense based on a security risk analysis to directly expose assets or to directly expose um, services to the outside. And this is one of the possibilities that the Internet Service Bus actually gives us. We can opt in in a secure and safe manner to expose an endpoint to the outside through this Internet Service Bus. Okay. And this connectivity um, has to play hand-in-hand with authentication and authorization. Of course. Because I do not want to really expose an endpoint uh, through the ISP to the outside world for everybody. Because usually I develop a product or I just develop a piece of software where I want to talk uh, to others and I want others being able to talk to me, okay? So that brings us to card space. Is card space a requirement for the uh, Internet service bus or is it merely an option? Yes, it's an option Um, because now we're talking about identity management, right? And the idea of identity management can be seen, for example, on the client side with Windows Card Space, but Card Space is just a product. Windows Card Space is actually just a deliverable that Microsoft ships with .NET Framework 3.0. And the whole, the whole standards behind Windows Card Space is all WSR driven, like WS Trust and WS Secure Conversation and right. all this very, very, um, interesting, um, XML based, SOAP based specifications. So what the Internet Service Bus does on its behalf is it implements the server-side functionality of the Windows card space game, which is usually referred to as an STS, a secure token service. Nice. Okay. So the ISP implements an STS, a secure token service, which we then can leverage um, locally on our machines by sending cards, registered cards, uh, to the STS and getting back authenticated information. And can we do this all without? Uh, can 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 you do this whole card space implementation without the user actually having to, you know, fill out their cards and sign up and get a certificate? Or you know, can we do it programmatically? Is what I'm saying. What do you mean? 
Yeah, so it's a it's a weird question. <laughs> but let's say I want the benefit of card space, which is security in my communications, sort of the way that you use HTTPS today, you know, to encrypt uh, conversations between uh, a client and a server. But I want to do that just in a very seamless way. I don't want to have oh. to engage the user with their cards and with their identity and all okay, that. Okay, so then maybe you have missed the, the point of card space because one right. of the points of card space is to be explicitly um, and to explicitly involve the user. No, no, I understand. I understand. Yeah. yeah so, when and maybe the question is even simpler: Can yeah. we use? Can we simply use HTTPS? Yes. So, okay. Besides using um, a card to authenticate with the internet service bus, we can just use a username token. So, because okay. what you need to do as a first step. When trying to use the Internet Service Bus, you need to go to labs.biztalk.net and you need to sign up. You need to create an account. Okay? And right. you then have an account name, you have a username, and you have a password. And then you can associate an identity card or an information card with your just created account at the Internet Service Bus. And what you're getting at is that card space is really for authentication, authorization. It isn't encryption. There you go. Which is what I was talking about. Because yeah. you can you can use card space um, since .NET Framework 3.5. You can use card space based authentication even without SSL, which is not a good thing. No. Because it makes it inherently unsecure, but it is possible. Hey, you know what? I, and Carl, I don't mean to put words in your mouth here. I think sure. part of what you're feeling around for there was that we've always looked at card space as a user interactive uh, way to do identity management. And I'm thinking about how services on the bus need to identify to each other and whether card space would really work in that role. Maybe the user interacts the first time. To sort of say, yes, you can use this identity to do these things going forward, but don't bother me with it again. Now that I've told you you can use it, just use it. Yes. That's fair. And it's actually a very good point and quite close to how it actually works. So um, if I want to expose a service just as a service sitting in my system somewhere, like in um, hosted in Windows service, I may not be able, or actually I am not able to use card space. So then I can use my username and password token and authenticate with that information and these credentials with the Internet Service Bus. For the same time, the consumer of my service, which sits on a totally different machine in a totally different company on a totally different continent, can use a card space, an information card to authenticate with the ISB. And if the authorization access rules match, then he is allowed, he is authenticated and authorized to access my service. Okay. Now, maybe I'm, I'm jumping back a little bit here because we sort of blew past that whole we'd use IIS, da, 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 da. You called it Internet Service Bus. You didn't call it Web Service Bus. So... Although we tend to think HTTP, HTTPS for all of this stuff, I don't see why I would use the most hacked port in the universe for this. Like, I'd get away from port 80 just because it's scary. Are there implementations that are on all our alternative transports or uh, different protocols? 
Yes. Um, what you can get if you, and that's actually now getting a little bit more into developers world. Right. What you can do is if you again go to labs.biztalk.net, you can sign up, as I already explained, and yeah. you can go and download an SDK. And that SDK is nothing more than a set of a few .NET assemblies which implement all the functionality of the ISB on the on the developer side on on your local machine on top of WCF. Okay? So you have all all the available communication patterns like sure. one way messaging, like request response messaging, like duplex messaging. You can do that over HTTP or over HTTPS, or you can do it with a session-based semantics. So you have a new binding there, which is called the relay binding. Okay. You could do it with sockets if you want, because it's WCF. Yeah. So that new binding, which is called relay binding, works um, out of the box as follows. So if you, Richard, want to expose an endpoint over the ISB, what you do is you just add a new endpoint, either in configuration or in code, to your existing WCF service, okay, which uses the relay binding. Obviously, upon starting your um, service, you need to authenticate. This can be done either by sending uh, a registered information card or by using a username token, as already um, explained. So by then, you have established an outgoing TCP connection from your machine, from your service host to the ISB. All right? Right. And now on the other side, Carl wants to consume your service. Carl also has a, let's say he has a Windows Forms application, and now he wants to use the relay binding. So he configures a new endpoint for his WCF-based client now, and also uses the relay binding, he also has to authenticate either using an information card or username token um, with the ISB. And if the authorization access rules, and we did not yet talk about um, these in detail, if the authorization access rules actually match and are willed to let Carl talk to your service, he now can talk to your service. But it's always an outgoing connection from your side and from Carl's side. So from Carl's machine, it's an outgoing TCP connection to the ISB, and from your machine, it's also an outgoing uh, TCP connection to the ISB as well. And the ISB is doing the correlation and the dispatching for us. Interesting. Well, and and that's almost an inherent security behavior that I don't. It, it's very natish to me, and of course, I'm throwing out my network chops here. That yes. unless the that I initiate, there's no way to me. Yes, I have to initiate. Yes, it's opt in. Yeah, always opt in. You're yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, in that sense, we've really taken advantage of uh, the natural behaviors of the Internet in terms of how we would communicate through firewalls and so on. You don't have to leave ports open. You would in- naturally initiate those ports in the process of setting up those connections. You go and yeah. opt in. That's a great trigger for the firewall to say, oh, one of the services is calling out to the Internet to uh, to do some work. And just let me... Reiterate, um, in that simple scenario that I have just described, you usually would 
maybe not want to use the relay binding because usually you would say, because you're just exposing an endpoint, a service endpoint, hey, let's do it explicitly. Let's move it into the DMZ. Let's, um, let's configure the firewall for it, okay? But for smaller businesses or for um, consumer-oriented peer-to-peer applications, it may make a lot of sense to do so. And one of the benefits of the ISB is that it supports and implements more communication patterns than the original WCF does. For example, publish and subscribe and multicast publish and subscribe. Ooh, I like and it. And that is actually what I like a lot about it. So I currently have a proof of concept project going on with a customer in the UK. And they have the need that they have four different types of applications all running in four different, well, companies or home offices on totally different um, continents, okay? And what Mm -hmm. they now need to be able to is that application one and application two subscribe to an event on the bus and application three and application four can publish data or topics onto the bus and the bus automatically dispatches those events to the subscribers. Uh, Christian, all this really sounds cool, but we've been talking about how great this is, but are there any, are there any gotchas? Is there stuff you have to look out for? Yeah. So gotchas or issues I can see is really that we need to think about the security implications as Richard already talked about, all right? Um, I think if if the if the ISB and the BizTalk services SDK and the relay binding goes all the way to 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 Chodo developer and he says, "How oh, cool! I now do not have uh, to worry about how to expose my service to the outside. Let's just do it with the relay binding." Well, then maybe we we can get into trouble. Because um, it's a totally different, again, it's a totally different security risk model. I need to be sure about that I am exposing my service on this very local machine I'm currently sitting at to the outside, although it it needs to be authenticated and uh, and authorized to talk to it, but I'm actually opening a connection from that machine into the Internet. This is a totally different risk model as opposed to the demilitarized zone. Right. And so I guess it's very important for the connected systems divisions team as well as external advisors like myself or other guys to make sure that people understand the risks, both the the risks and the positive aspects of using and leveraging the ISB, of using and leveraging the connectivity feature of the relay service of the Internet Service Bus. Right. Yeah, it isn't something you just want to start messing around with. I mean, you're going to have some phone calls. (laughs) Well, the the other angle that I worry about is... Uh, which is not necessarily specific to Internet Service Bus, but is the the a general issue around this entire model is WS slow. You know that that the the these protocols are pretty heavy, and 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 as we start layering them up, which is really what we're doing now that we're abstracting away from the XML that is being generated to to establish trust rules and so forth. 
they're getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And I worry about the sheer volume of data needed to ship to say hello world between these two connections securely. I totally agree. And again, it's as always, if you want to have um, additional features, you have to pay something, right? And if you want to have these features like multicast, publish and subscribe over the internet uh, in a firewall, in a firewall friendly way, Actually, in an interoperable way, because they are working hard on providing um, libraries for being able to talk to the ISB with Java and other platforms, right? So if you want this feature set, yes, then you have maybe to pay the cost of being a little bit more slower than you would expect otherwise. But I have done some very first basic tests for this customer in the UK, and... Yes, so the dispatching, so the sending, so the publishing of the events and the dispatching of these events to to the subscribers were just perfectly within the the boundaries that they have uh, talked about from the customer side. So, yeah, it was all good for them. But of course it's but of course it's heavy. Yes, it's heavy. It's heavy communication. Uh, you mentioned multicast a couple of times, and this is something I've always been very interested in. Um, just briefly, multicasting is at the TCP level, where when you make a connection, you connect to an IP address that is a multicast IP address, and the 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 host on the other side only has one connection to that address, and anything that's sent over that socket gets multiplied to all of the uh, clients who are connected to that socket. So instead of, you know, you can imagine if you've got a thousand connections um, on a typical web server, uh, let's say, you've got a thousand different sockets and maybe you want to send something to each of them simultaneously, you've got a thousand copies of that data and a thousand times the bandwidth. With multicast, you send it once, and then the routers do all the the, multiplic- the multiplexing. And uh, it's been the case for several years, and I want to know what you think about this now, that you couldn't count on the fact that everybody's router supported multicasting. So it really wasn't done all that much. But now I got to think, I mean, even even a couple of years ago, we were saying, you know, pretty much the routers that get are getting sold today all support it. What what's the state of that now? Is that something you can count on for the general public? Um, I'm not sure about that because the multicasting feature of the ISP is a totally different beast. Okay, so there's something different than what you're talking about. What I'm talking about. Yes. So, um, multicasting on a on a conceptually higher level. Okay. okay. So that the ISP has a list of subscribers and a list of publishers. And if one of those publishers publishes data, be, well, actually pushed into all subscribers. This is what they mean with multicasting in the services or S plus. Okay, S so work. it's not necessarily at the TCP level. No. no. I don't think it's IP multicast. Okay. You know, no, it's not. At the IP level, right. What we have in place is a point to point connection or an open connection from our services to the bus and from our consumers, from our client apps to the okay. bus. 
And this is all that is there physically, right? And then all the dispatching and the publish and subscribing uh, functionality and logic will be done by by the implementation of the ISP. Okay. Yeah, I guess you know multicast is a is a concept which I mean in theory it's a, a beyond IP in general. The idea that sure. you send something once and it naturally distributes to all the peers. Sure, that you I'm want I'm still very interested in IP multicasting. It's another show, obviously, but yeah. uh, maybe a show yeah. for Run As Radio actually. Where funny you would think about talk about that because I'm working on it awesome, right now, dude. <laughs> and the simple summary, but you should go listen to the show anyway when we finally get it. Is I don't think IP multicast will happen until IPv6 is the point. Uh, yes. Okay. Sucky. Yeah, but the the good news is that that that's in 2011. <laughs> it really is. The I I can is announced. They're, they're switching to IPv6 for 2011. Oh, okay. Crazy. That's just three years, right? That's three years from now. Sorry, we'll we'll get way off the track of the show. We got fifth, we got another fifteen minutes to talk about ISB. Let's not go IPv6 on us. Well, um, that's actually not too far because what we have been investigating here at ThinkTecture, and I did together with my with my prominent colleague Dominic Bayer, who is our security guy. Yes, and who was recently on Run As as well on his radio show, yeah. right? And so what we did is we investigated a little bit into the IPv6 features and into all the transition protocol technologies like Teredo. And what we found out is, of course, that on the network layer, on the IPv6 layer, there are other possibilities and other ways to expose your endpoints through the Internet yes. to others just by leveraging intrinsic features of IPv6 and the transition technologies related to it. Yeah, there's so much. The, the big advantage of IPv6 is that all the things we learned in IPv4 that we added to IPv4, like multicasting and IPsec and and protocol binding and so forth, are now intrinsic to IPv6. So as IPv6 is being deployed, its base configuration includes all those features. And I think that's the, the the big advantage, you know, not that I've been a big fan of IPv6 for a long time, but now that I finally look at it and think, wow, we get to fix a lot of stuff. Imagine we were going to replace a core protocol, <laughs> say like email, right? SMTP. What would you fix? And that doesn't happen, but it's yeah. going to happen here. You know, what I think is one of the biggest disadvantages of IPv6. Disadvantages? Yes, disadvantages. The completely unintelligible IP address? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because up until today, if my friend asked me, hey, dude, just tell me your IP address, I want to talk right. to you, <laughs> I could just say, okay, 192.168.24.281. Yeah, that's been a huge feature of IP4. Yeah. But now in IPv6, oh, my God. Yeah, you know what? Our children will be able to handle 128 bits just like we handle 32 bits. <laughs> That's what you think, buddy. We're just weak. We're weak-minded. That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, what else can we talk about, Christian? There must be a lot. Well, yeah, so what can we talk about? We can talk about some some sample scenarios that I have been implementing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
I already talked about that one sample scenario where we have four different applications um, subscribing to certain events on the bus and then being notified by uh, by other applications which send messages or events to the bus and then they get just dispatched into us. Um, so this is the case for the multicast or the N to M publish and subscribe scenario. And one other thing that I have been working on with another guy here at ThinkTexture um, is <laughs> enabling Team Foundation server for the cloud. Really? Huh. Yes. What are you up to, Christian? Okay, so are you guys using Team Foundation server? No. We we publish okay. shows. That's That's what we do. <laughs> We we don't do any real work anymore, Christian. Yeah, We're dilettantes. I, I know. Oh, oh, sorry, I forgot about that. Christian, you can cut it out. <laughs> um, well, I okay. don't think we're hiding the fact that we don't no, do any real work. Not at all. <laughs> yes, I was not respecting the disclaimer. Um, okay, so TFS, Team Audition Server, what you can have there is you can have um, or you can subscribe to events inside of Team Foundation Server. And events can be something like, okay, a Team Foundation Server build has completed, or a check-in into one of the Team Foundation Server projects has just occurred, okay? And you can subscribe to these events. So this is the this is part of the of the core infrastructure of Team Foundation Server. And there is an API which you can use and program against this set of core functionality. This functionality is exposed through a user interface inside of um, Team System, Visual Studio Team System, where you can right-click in the Team Explorer and say subscribe to events. There you can subscribe, for example, to an event that says, again, um, check-in has occurred. And then you are being notified that a check-in has occurred. Hmm. Okay? But... Inside of that Visual Studio user interface, you only can say that he or she should uh, send email out to you. What I now did is I created a WCF service sitting on the same machine as my Team Foundation server. And that WCF service uses and leverages the Team Foundation server APIs to add and eventually remove subscriptions into TFS programmatically, okay? Huh. And I exposed this functionality through a WCF service. And this WCF service is registered with the Internet Service Bus so that my my guys, because we are a really, really distributed um, company here in Germany and Austria, so that my guys can just talk to this ISB, to this public address, and send subscriptions to this address, okay? And now, the cool part of it, if they have created subscriptions with my WCF service, which then in turn creates local subscriptions with the Team Foundation server, if now a certain event occurs inside of the team build process, just like, um, okay, a check-in has occurred for, for Project X, then the Team Foundation server calls my WCF service and my WCF service calls out to the Internet Service hmm. Bus and notifies all the subscribers 
Wow. So it's it's a push it's a push way of communicating this event. So that means that by leveraging the ISB and by leveraging uh uh the relay binding and by using the relay binding on top of WCF, I now have a really, really advanced um notification feature in that case based on the team foundation server scenario. Yeah. Wow, that sounds great. It's powerful, powerful stuff, actually. You know, it just makes you consider all the possibilities for. Well, I mean, once again, you've got like that Xbox example, right. right? Here's the strength of this model in terms of being able to work with a more distributed environment, and 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 have it still work like you were all local. And these are things that we've wanted to do in the past. They just proved to be too difficult. And a lot of it is no. that you know firewally natty kind of nastiness. Yeah, where if I finally get it to work, it's because I'm no longer secure. Right. Turn the firewall off, and it'll work. Yeah. So, is it BizTalk Services, the product that is the Internet Service Bus? What is it we've got to get to start really working with this? This is a really good question. (laughs) As I said at the beginning of the show, um, BizTalk Services is just the code name of what will be the Internet Service Bus soon. So, I guess the first wave of Oslo deliverables, I guess we will see it um, at the end of this year. Okay. okay. So, because I guess it would make sense to look at PDC. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, they would not have a lot of contents for showing at PDC. So, currently, it's a very early stage, and they are, ga- and they are gathering a lot of feedback from from you guys, from us guys, actually playing around with it. And I'm not sure they have already come up with a final product name. So it's still being referred to as BizTalk Services, although it has really nothing to do with the current incarnation of BizTalk Server. Uh, Internet Service Bus almost sounds like a code name. Yeah, except it's almost a more of a general terms as it's derived from enterprise service yeah. bus. Yes, yeah. I guess it's more the concept right. and the idea. Right. And I guess the product itself will be named maybe very, very soon, but I have really no idea in what direction we should or could think. Because they did not yet disclose anything. Right. But you, you, you do have given us a hint of what PDC is going to yeah. be about. I can maybe. imagine. Maybe not. Maybe not. I think I Who can knows? imagine PDC having a large chunk talking about these concepts of the Internet Service Bus. Yeah, so I can imagine that PDC um, will talk a lot about the whole Oslo thing because Oslo was announced, I guess, in September or October 2007. Right. That gives us one year until PDC 2008. And I guess, yes, they will talk a lot about what Oslo is, how does it look like, how do, does the server side look like, how does the, the IT Pro um, side look like, how does uh, the developer um, side look like, how does the I don't know side yeah. look like. I guess PDC will be a lot, a lot, a lot about and given that we've got a handle now on what Internet Service Bus is really all about, aren't we saying that Oslo is a set of tools to build Internet Service Bus applications? No, uh, I would actually um, 
put it in another way, I would say that the Internet Service Bus is part of what Oslo will be. Okay. Oh, okay. I see. Oslo is the framework and the tools and all of that. Yeah. Yes. And one Oslo of those elements. The big thing. And the ISB is just Got part it. of Oslo. Well, uh, we come to the end of the show here. We're just about out of time. Is there anything we haven't talked about that uh, you want to... We got five minutes? I think from my side, we're all set. Christian, it's going to be great to see you this year, uh, most likely at the PDC. Yes. And this has been been great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the MCU.